listening to 7.50 a.m. WSFI Catholic Radio, 9 million souls we're going to bring to Our Lady today at the foot of the cross. What else are we going to do, Father Charlie Becker, if we don't trust in him? What can we do? Who can we go to? There's nobody. Nobody else left. Is this on? Yes, it, okay, now it good. is. Yeah. Now it's on. So I've wanted you on WSFI for so many years. Thank you for yeah, coming thank today. Thank you, Angela, for having me. I'm I glad love your work. I love your work. I well, love your you. story about the Marian Movement of Priests. Mm-hmm. And I was reading about you online, how it saved your vocation. So before we get started, why don't we begin with the prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious gracious Virgin Virgin Mary, Mary, that never never was it known that that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Our Lady Queen of Peace, pray for us. Our Lady Rosa Mystica, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. All the angels and saints, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So how did she Amen. find you, Father? How did Our Lady find you? I don't know how she found me, but I'm glad I found her. You found you know? her. Yeah, yeah. I think she was out there walking the streets looking for you. She must have been. She must have been. But I was oblivious. So Was uh, it your mom, or did nope, you come from a nope, religious family? Nope, what nope. happened? I mean, we, we were Catholic. In the 1970s, I mean, back then, families uh, still went to church on Sunday. So that was pretty much, I grew up in Arlington Heights, and, and the neighborhood would always be there, all the kids. But as soon as we got into college, that's when we stopped going to church of my peers, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the only reason I continued on with it was because I had a vocation that was uh, that began in, in junior year in high school. There was a mystical moment where I was just aware of God's presence and. <clears throat> Tell us and about it. Tell yeah, us what it that was. was. It was. Uh, it was just going for a while. Well, first of all, I grew up with alcoholism in my home, and mm-hmm. my dad was sober probably my sophomore year in high school, and then. Uh, um, those years, all through high school, I was in a, a support group called Alateen. Many people in AA, Alanon, Alateen know what that's all about, you know. But it's a support group for kids growing up with alcoholism. And uh, so, you know, uh, we met once a week, 
for four years on Wednesday night at the Methodist Church because it's not a Catholic organization. And we always went to Mass on Sunday. That's what Catholic families always did, and we did that. But we weren't overly devotional. There was no real rosary devotion. All of that kind of went by the wayside, um, particularly in the in the 70s. Uh, I mean, my parish was one of the more progressive parishes in the archdiocese at that time. It was called the Experimental Parish. So they were trying all kinds of new things. And a lot of the old devotions went kind of out the window. And uh, so Marian devotion, Eucharistic devotion, all of that was gone. Um, a lot of social, a lot of, lot of fun, a lot of stuff like that, fundraisers and and musicals and plays and all kinds of things, you know. So for me, it was like, boy, this church is kind of more fun than it was when I remember as a little kid, the nuns making us kneel and do all of this <laughs> stuff, you know. This is, yeah. I like this new church, you know. But so make a long story short, you know, um, after I got ordained, I knew something was missing, and I, but I didn't know what. So I knew I was called to the priesthood because the, when I was going for a walk in the neighborhood and one of my kind of melancholy moods one night uh, with the situation at home probably, um, I just remember it was a winter night, and uh, the moon was out after a fresh snow the day before, and it was glistening all over. It was real pretty, just and quiet. Nobody's outside in the winter time, and it was about ten at night or whatever. And and I just felt this presence of of like God around me. It was a very peaceful presence, and I just thought of God. And then the next thing I thought of was priesthood. Now I didn't hear any words or anything, but these thought these thoughts came to me like priesthood. That wasn't even on my radar whatsoever. I worked in an ice cream shop. I thought I'd be an ice cream shop owner the rest of my <laughs> life. I, I mean, that's why I was just being a high school kid, and and so so there there it was. I mean, it was it was profound and it touched my heart. And uh, so, what I uh, I didn't bring it up to my folks' uh, attention for a while, and then after a couple of weeks or a week or two. Uh, I, I did, and they said, well, you should go talk to the parish priest about it. And I really esteemed, I, I liked the parish priest that we had, even though everything was more progressive, but it was fun. And uh, he said, sure, Charlie, that's what you should do, you know. You, I mean, if that's what you feel called to do or there's a sense of that, then you, you check out Niles College when you get done with high school. And that was a college-level seminary at the time. And uh, so that's what I did. Um, but then, you know, they used to say, if you're a child of an alcoholic, you're the chance. They tell us this in Alatine. You're this. You're either going to become one, you're going to marry one, or both. I'm like, oh, for crying out loud, that sounds like a sentence, you know. I think oh, we got to go through this again. And so I used to pray. I thought, God, if that's true, if that's true, I don't know if it's true or not, but <clears throat> if it is true. I had a prayer beginning at like about 16, you know, help me to recognize it earlier in my life rather than later. Because one of the hardest things about alcoholism or any addiction is to be willing to admit that, that you got a problem. Somebody once said, I worked in the field for a little bit too after high school in the alcoholism field um, before my sobriety, just kind of early on, 18 years old. But they would say, um, you know, if you're uh, five, three out of, how did it go? Yeah, like three out of five sons of an alcoholic will become an alcoholic. So, so the stats aren't really in your favor, you know. So I used to pray, God, if that happens to me, help me to recognize it earlier in my life than later. So my dad was in his 40s. I was 18. I, uh, you know, my dad's generation, the generation before them probably thought a, a drunk or an alcoholic was somebody on West Madison Street. Everybody has these images. And for me, it was, you know, suburban dad with kids and whatnot, you know. Uh, so I knew to ask God for the grace to recognize it earlier. Uh, because the hardest thing about alcoholism, like I mentioned, is to admit it. 
So, um, like if you have a broken arm or you have a heart condition or you have cancer, you go to the oncologist, you'll go to the cardiologist, but you say, oh, you have a drinking problem. I No, I don't. You know, it's the first thing that comes to mind. No, I don't. I make all kinds of excuses for it. So to be able to uh, uh, pray for that and then ultimately recognize that it took me seven years and five colleges later to figure that out okay so a lot of that was drinking stuff that just pro- prolonged this educational process of the bachelor degree until because all, all along i wanted to get back get into the seminary the major seminary this bachelor's degree was in my way and uh so all along i was basically going to church went watching my peers not go everybody stopped going to church and here we are you know i just had my ordination anniversary 35 years and all my peers, most of my peers, we had our eighth grade, eighth grade, 50th anniversary um, a couple of weeks back. And, uh, uh, you know, most don't go to church anymore. We know that, you know. Your genera- the generation I'm sitting here with is my generation a little bit older. Uh, so we, we know, we're familiar with our, our, and the need for our attendance at church, even if it is inconvenient or we don't feel up to it or we have a commitment to God, and we know that we will be blessed by showing up even when we don't feel like showing up. I try and impress on the kids, you know, the grammar school kids, you know, if, if you like uh, soccer, you're going to go to soccer practice, you know. Uh, and same with the Lord. We have, to, we have to go to church. We have to pray in order to have a, a relationship with him. And it may not be what you want to do that day, but you're going to gain benefit from it if you go. So, uh, so these are the kinds of notions I, I've always kind of known, um, but, to, but it was kind of lost on me un, until uh, when I got ordained a priest. Like I mentioned, I was kind of raised in all the progressive stuff that we've all put up with in the church the last 50 years. And it wasn't until uh, three years into my priesthood, which was my first parish was in St. Francis de Sales in Lake Zurich, Illinois. And oh. yeah, that was my, and uh, we built that modern church with the, with all yeah. these goofy, um, you know, <laughs> goofy liturgical problems with it. But anyway, I didn't know any better because I didn't know conservative from liberal from borscht back then, you know, so <laughs> I just, I just did what we did. And, but three years into the priesthood, I'm like, something's not, something's missing I mean, I know the Lord called me to this. I I, I know that, and, uh, um, and but the 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 things that I would need to sustain it were missing. Something was missing, and so I used to think, well, maybe it's the uh, maybe it's the lifestyle. Maybe it's about marriage. You know, in the, in the, in the seminary, they kind of used to put in your head here at Mundelein that, well, maybe someday that's going to change, and the option for you to be able to be married is a possibility down the that. road. Yeah. I hate so you put that, that in your head, mm-hmm. and you always kind of like live then with maybe that's so you're not like mm-hmm. both feet in the water with this right. with yeah. the way God wants it. Good. So so you second guess. You know, you kind of that gives room for the devil to play with you. You know, and the other thing was. Um, uh, if it if it was the the celibacy issue, maybe it was um, the work or or the um, uh, what was the other thing that um, the uh-huh. living the living situation. You know, maybe it, maybe it was that. You know, I I didn't know what it was, what the problem was. So uh, a family prevailed over me to go to Medjugorje three years into my priesthood. How did they do that? Father? And uh, well, <laughs> that's a story too. Tell so, us. So this uh, this couple had been there in eighty. Uh, eight, 87 or 88, and, and they took their whole family. There were four kids in their 20s and one six-year-old, one bonus baby. And so they, um, 
they would they would come to confession. And St. Francis at that time had like twenty five to 3,000 families in it. But nobody's come to confession. I could sit in the box and read a book wow. when it was my turn to hear confession. So, <laughs> so we haven't been teaching people the need for confession, what sin is, uh, for 50 years, right? This is nothing new. I'm not saying anything new here. So... So that's kind of the situation. And uh, I wouldn't have known to encourage people to go to confession because I hadn't had my conversion with the Blessed Mother yet. So, uh, so Did you go to confession? As did a I priest? go to confession? As a priest, were you well, yeah, in the seminary they always encouraged that. So we did do it, and I did it occasionally, not, not as regularly not as weekly. Our Lady does. Not kind of oh, like Certainly weekly. not weekly, not even probably monthly, you know. Yeah. Um, but a couple times a year, like probably most Catholics would go Christers, Christmas and Easter yeah. confessions or whatever, you know. Yeah. But to appreciate confession on a regular basis that helps you to grow closer to the Lord and grow in holiness and just grow grow aware of the grace of God and how we how we live with one another and deal with one another. That's that's something that has to be enlightened from a uh, from a perspective of the Blessed Mother, I believe. Mm. So anyway, so this couple uh, had gone to Medjugorje the year before, and I'm hearing their confessions because they're coming monthly. And one of the only families that comes regularly. And so they were, after their confessions, they would talk about Medjugorje. And I was like, well, you know, maybe. I mean, I had Blessed Mother wasn't in my spiritual life at all. And we come from the St. Mary of the Lake Seminary, right? You, you'd think, yeah. hello, yeah, yeah. you'd think, you know. Yeah. You would think so. You would think so. So, so I was like... Um, uh, in that in that kind of kind of place, so hearing their confessions, and, and then finally they would say, they start talking about Medjugorje, and I'm like, well, okay, maybe. I mean, I believe in the grace of God. I believe that God helped me uh, recognize my uh, first of all my vocation. I know that was a graced moment, something objectively different than something in the world. Then the next thing was my own uh, admission of my own alcoholism, which happened my first year at Mundelein in the major seminary. And I know that, too, was a grace. Mm -hmm. uh, there were a number of things that came together, finally, for me to recognize, which is what I had always prayed for. So it was like 10 years later, from 16 at 26, that prayer was answered. And it came from a number of different things. One, I worked in the field a little bit, but also I knew from my father's own recovery what was necessary when, when the drinking got out of hand and to recognize that it was something that was going to stay, continue to be out of hand. Uh, but it takes a while to stop the denial process and when you finally admit it. So boom, that was another grace. So this this third thing with the Blessed Mother, I'm like, I believe the grace of God worked in your family, I told them. I said, but I, I can't, I couldn't in my mind make any sense out of flying 4,000 miles <laughs> for the Blessed Mother to do something to me. I'm thinking, why can't she do something to me here in Chicago? Why do I got to go all the way over there? You know, I mean, she's supposed to be able to be everywhere. Can't we, you know, my uncle, who was a recovering alcoholic, too, says, does she ever appear on the beach? You know, <laughs> you know, why do we have to go to these obscure places? It why is can't obscure, you just right? Meet me in the beach. You know, oh, so, Father, yeah. that trip so, is unbelievable. It is. It's a long haul. That first trip, you know. So anyway, the, they prevailed over me, and that's another fun story. But anyway, it's, it gets too in details. So I go October '89, and uh, there were mm, maybe it really kind of hit me when I got home. More two weeks later. The reality of what I had experienced, meeting the visionaries, uh, you know, uh, meeting Father Yozozovko, who was the pastor of the kids in the beginning years, and and uh, a number of different uh, little mystical things that would happen, the scent of roses where there was no roses, or, you know, these kinds of things kind of made me think, wow, there's something going on here. But the first trip, um, I became aware of it two weeks after I, I was home, um, and, and it, well, it was overwhelming. I was... 
at that time, Arlington Heights Road and Palatine Road, many of you know that intersection, was stop sign. Wasn't even a stoplight mm. back then, okay? Wow, oh, that's so it's a stop sign. Yeah, that's right. changed. Yeah, it's years. eight lanes of trap, whatever it is. So, so I was, I just all of a sudden thought about the Blessed Mother appearing, and I'm thinking, my gosh, you know, this is really the biggest thing going on on the planet Earth, and we're not paying any attention to this. Yeah. Everything was Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan. You know, mm. for years I started prayer groups after that, and, and different rosary groups around the Archdiocese of Chicago. And about three or four years later, I started praying that Michael, because we were winning every year, the black, uh, the uh, <laughs> right, weren't we? You <laughs> yeah, know, the Blackhawks, the, bull, the, yeah. the, the Bulls, the Bulls, Bulls were winning every every year. Five years, I think it was. He won. So I started praying that fifth year. I said that the Bulls would lose, and the kids <laughs> are all thinking, "Why would Father Charlie pray that the Bulls would lose?" I say, like, "Because everybody's so so obsessed with this. If we could." only be so obsessed with Blessed Mother as we are about Michael Jordan, you know. I thought, well, maybe we could pray that Michael Jordan will go to Medjugorje with us, you know. That, <laughs> that could be the other thing. change everything. Because it just changed, it does change everything. So for people who've gone there, and there's a lot of skeptics. I mean, I was somewhat skeptical, too, myself, because in the seminary we're trained, you know, oh, just like the Protestant church, honestly, you know. Oh, yeah, you don't go to the Blessed Mother because it'll pull you away from Jesus. That's what they'll tell you in the Protestant church. And we're hearing that kind of stuff in the seminary. It's ridiculous, you know. So it wouldn't be until uh, I, I came into those encounters that there are graces happening in that village. And you don't have to believe in Medjugorje as a Catholic. I mean, these are all optional devotions and optional mystical experiences. You can if you want to. The church uh, tries to approve them, if and it's usually not when they're ongoing. Um, but uh, but nonetheless, as long as there's nothing contrary to the church's teaching in the messages or whatever, then then Catholics are free to believe it, and it's kind of left up to yourself, you know. And the, the local bishop usually is the one who uh, makes the decision about its authenticity or not. And the local bishop at that time um, was influenced by the communism. First, it was uh, Father Bishop Zanich, and then it was Bishop Racco, and they. Racco was Zanich's driver <laughs> in those early days, so so they were both on the same page, and they were they they were being influenced by the communism at the time to denounce it, renounce it, get it out of here, and so they they got cajoled or pulled into the communist uh, Why, thinking. Why, Father? Why did they want to renounce? Well, I don't know it? why communists do that. Communists don't want anything religious going on, so it was just too much. So they were trying too to much block of a the stirring going on in this region. Thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people are coming to Yugoslavia at the time and you know the communists don't want any of that kind of activity they want to keep control over everything so so they were putting pressure on the the bishops and then pressure also on father yoza who was the pastor to the point where they told him either he, he renounces uh the, the apparitions or he'll be in jail so they put him in jail he wouldn't renounce it because he had an experience too uh mystical experience of hearing the words of god that said take care of the children and from that point on, he was totally convinced. And he was in jail for 18 months uh, in a communist jail, and they tortured him. Um, it was unbelievable. And he came out of all of that even more holy, more spiritually insightful, uh, to the point where people would travel. All of the different various language groups would travel to his parish, which would be about an hour or two from the town of Medjugorje, to listen to him speak. People would even say that when Father Yozo used to give homilies before his conversion or before his closeness to the Blessed Mother, they were very boring and long and theological and now 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 they're so full and life-giving and so anyway uh, so I went there in 89 and the apparitions of course started in 81 and three of the original six visionaries still see 
Our Lady every day, and it's been 40 years this summer. And Yvonne lives in uh, Boston area, and um, who still sees our, sees our Lady every day. And Maria lives in uh, Milan, near Milan, and Vitska, uh, and she lives near Medjugorje still. And then the other three visionaries live in Medjugorje, but uh, but they see her. Blessed Mother says she will continue to appear to them for the rest of their lives. But once they stop with the daily apparitions, uh, is when they when it corresponds with receiving of the tenth secret. So all of the kids have kids. They're all fifty now. Uh, have received uh, nine secrets, and they're, they're, when that tenth one happens, that's when the their final apparitions happen. So, and Father, I got to interrupt you just for yeah. one second. We sure, have sure. a secret. We have some donors that have been calling in while you've been okay, speaking. Okay, fine. Yeah, good. Good. So, I want to say wonderful. thank you so much. So, first of all, I want to say Denise Garcia. She was here this morning with that beautiful family. <clears throat> they were singing Salve Regina, and yeah. were they amazing? The seven homeschool yeah. that are all consecrated to Our Lady. Yeah, their 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 singing was unbelievably beautiful. It was. I wonder if they'll let me. I'm sure they'll let us air it, but. Um, Denise, thank you so much. We're looking. For, we need a thousand courageous donors to donate forty dollars a month, so that we can keep the station on the air on WNDZ. And what that means to us is we have nine million souls that we can consecrate to Our Lady. Nine million souls. That's our goal. We don't want anybody to go to bed tonight that's <laughs> listening to this radio program without consecrating themselves to Our Lady with all their heart today, and tomorrow, and every day of their life. So, Denise, thank you so much. She's donating the $40 a month, which is now we're down to 999 donors. You can do this, Father Charlie. You just put in a word to the Queen of Peace, and she's going to come through for us. Amen. Uh, also, a wonderful couple from Lake Forest. Her name is Charles and Carolyn Bagden. Uh-oh, Charlie, see, you're working here, and your wife's spending your money. What do you think? It's our pleasure, and we d we're delighted to do it. Thank you so much. A wonderful monthly donation of $125 a month. So now we're down to 997. How's my math doing for Boston College graduate? Thank you <laughs> so much. I can so hear much. that Boston accent. You can hear a little bit, a little yes, bit of I that. Can. Yes, I can. But it's the Queen's English. It's <laughs> yes. the Queen's English. From brother. Boston? Yes, That's it right. Is. They yeah. landed on like the Mayflower. <laughs> they went to Boston. And you guys picked it up later on. That's good. Lastly, Ann Schantz, who is here with the Institute of Religious Life, made a beautiful donation of $150. So, Ann, thank you so much. It means so much to us. We have got to keep this radio station going. We have to consecrate ourselves to Our Lady to turn this world around. So what's the number, Charlie? What number can people call? Okay, we have people, the Charlie and Charlie show here. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. No, we, we do have people uh, waiting your call, though. We have uh, operators um, waiting. So call 224-206-8455. Again, that's 224-206-8455. And if anyone wants to donate online, uh, Bonnie or, or Pat, why don't you give them... WSFI Catholic Radio, all one word, dot org. And there you go. To, from your lips, we get another donor, uh, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff Carls. Thank you so much. We just loved having you. We just loved having you guys today on the Institute of Religious Life here at WSFI Catholic Radio. And want to thank you so much for your uh, donation. She, he said he loves it. And he commutes from Whitewater to Mundelein. Now he can listen to us the whole drive. What wow. do you think of that? That's a great way to That's spend a a, way to, to spend the drive to be listening to uh, Catholic radio. I I just want to say I've been in, I'm Patricia and I used to be in Father Charlie's prayer books to pray for priests for years. And you're talking about consecrating yourself to the 
Blessed Mother. Well, Father Charlie <laughs> used to say, it's very easy. All she had to do is right now say, I want to consecrate myself to the Blessed Mother. And you don't have to go into this big thing. It's just so real let's simple. do that. Patricia, let's and just do plus, it right now, Father. Then you can go into De Montfort, the MI, or go into deeper consecrations. But I thought that's so good because it's just simple and you can do it right now. Not Father put, Charlie, not let's put just it do off. it. Sure, sure. So, you know, well, let me let me explain. I'll explain it to you. Can I, can you I go may. for it? Okay. So, um, consecration came next you know so the Medjugorje experience and and then the fellow who took me there desired to start a prayer group and this guy was driven because he was not he was 15 minutes to church late every Sunday (laughs) and his family would always sit in the last pew and after his 1988 (laughs) conversion with his family he's 15 minutes early for mass and he's sitting in the first pew okay so (laughs) this is the change that happened for him and he was just so on fire his name is Casey and his wife Neely and and so they prevail over me like I said to, to have me come and I went and and then things begin to change. And so they were encouraged by a couple on the south side, Evergreen Park, uh, Bridget and Noel Naughton, Bridie and Noel. And Noel is still with us at uh, Little Sisters of the Poor in Palatine. And uh, they were encouraged to start, if they were going to start a rosary prayer group in their living room, which is what they wanted to do, they said, use the Marian movement of priests as your foundation for your, your cynical style prayer and, group. And explain what that is. I will, it. yes. And uh, and he also had a Rosa Mystica statue, a big four-foot Rosa Mystica statue from Montecchiari, Italy. And it was the sister statue of the one that cried here in Chicago in 1984 yes. that belonged to Father Ray Jasinski. Yes. And uh, I was in the seminary then second year at Mundelein and of course everybody thought it was all suspicious and must be some remote control trick or you know (laughs) nobody believed in any of that kind of stuff okay so here I am now getting more involved with these people who are involved with all these different (laughs) miraculous little things and whatnot so this statue was on loan the second the sister statue of the one that cried belonged to Noel Naughton and Noel and Bridie said here you keep it for a year while you establish your prayer group in your living room. And sometimes we would smell a scent of roses that would just fill the whole living room. Mm. So thick, you know. And, and and occasionally, too, at the parish, when I would have the Mass, it was so strong. So so there were these, these experiences that that uh, as the year unfolded, and really what I did then was the more I grew in it, it grew in this devotion to Our Lady, um, the company that took us that first trip in 89 October asked if I would go with them in the spring. And I was never going to go back to Medjugorje again. I didn't think, you know, why would, but they got a priest on the hook. You know, they like to have priests if they can get them to run go with the trips, you know. So I said, oh, yeah, yeah, come with our, come with our group in the spring. I'm like, well, I don't know, you know. And they said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll. I said, well, if you guys come with me, the owners of the company, oh, yeah, we'll do that month before. No, we can't come. I thought, I knew it. I knew it, you know. So I had a group from my parish, and, and we went, and we got by on my own. I don't know what I'm doing with any of this stuff. I'm still learning, too. So a lot of the times when Casey, that following summer then started a prayer group at St. Teresa's in Palatine every Monday night. Yes. It still goes on. Yes, Everybody, we love yep, those it's people. It's been four, 35, 40 years, you know, yes. that it's been going on. And uh, Casey started that group with, the, with, the, uh, with Bonnie and Don. Oh. And so uh, I've been blessed to be a part of that all, all along. And uh, so he started that format after being to a prayer, a prayer group up in Appleton. And Appleton had the kind of the Medjugorje style. It was 10 decades of the rosary and then um, uh, mass. 
And during the rosary, there would be confessions, just like they do in Medjugorje. So 10 decades with confessions, and then and then mass, and then afterward, there'd be the last five decades of the rosary back then when there were only 15 until John Paul II added more. Okay, okay. <laughs> so so uh, this is how the format was at St. Teresa's in Palatine. And, and um, then he also was instrumental in starting one on the south side with Sister Sharla, Gannon, and she began one at St. Bede's at 82nd and Costner. So those were the two big groups, and we had had Yvonne at one of those. I think he showed up at the south side at the Costner one, because Sister Charlotte, we called her the uh, general, the Medjugorje <laughs> general of the south side, you know. So she was really on fire with it. So as it as it grew that, that summer after my second trip to Medjugorje, um, there were a number of things that happened in that trip that uh, were so profound that that it uh, that it convinced me that she was there. Two, Give us an two example. Two strangers. Okay, so the first night um, I get there with friends who had come with me on the first trip, but we're on the second trip. We got the eight about eighteen people from the parish going, and we're in the bus coming into town, and it was still communism then. And the, uh, the, the tour guides were saying, well, the appari- apparitions are happening in the bell tower where all of the visionaries are meeting. Well, in our first trip, the communists were not allowing us to meet anywhere where the visionaries were. Uh, so, And I was kind of disappointed because I wanted to be near it. I didn't have to be in the room, but I could be out in the yard or in the driveway. I wanted to be somewhere near the apparition, you know, but it wasn't possible the first trip. So the second trip, they're saying, yes, uh, the kids are upstairs in the bell tower, and there's rooms, and these bell towers are big bell towers. So uh, I said to my two friends, I said, as soon as the bus gets to the place where we're staying, uh, we're going to have dinner at 7. We're going to arrive at 6. <clears throat> we'll tell everybody we'll meet back there at 7 because I don't know what I'm doing at all. I'm still in my blue jeans, still smoking my cigarettes. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm a, I'm a priest from Arlington Heights that doesn't know what he's doing. Okay. So, so we get, and I said, we're going right to the apparition to the church. So we race down there. I just tell everybody, you guys, will meet back here at 7. We get down there. I sit on the steps underneath the one bell tower where the kids were supposedly up there. At the time of the apparition, which is 6.40 every night, um, about 6.30 to, to 7, I just feel this peace come over me. Again, it was like when I was first called to the priesthood. It was like a, well, like a blanket. And I was just so in the prayers, oblivious to everything else around me. And so when it was over, one of my friends said to me, they said, Father Charlie, See that girl walking across the plaza? I go, yeah. She was trying to get your attention during the rosary. I go, she was? Yeah, she tapped you on the shoulder. I go, she did? Yeah, you were real rude. I go, I was? I mean, I have no clue. I was just totally out of it. So I get up and I go to her. And again, she doesn't know I'm a priest because I'm going to dress like a priest. And I said, excuse me, did you want to say something to me? And she said, well, yes, sir. She says, uh, during the rosary, I had the sense I'm supposed to tell you something. I go, oh, yeah? Like what? And she says, well... Are you confused or undecided about something in your life? And I'm being Mr. Skeptic still. It's like, well, everybody's confused or undecided about something in their life. That's like a horoscope, <laughs> you know. I but I, I'm thinking, well, the celibacy and and my vocation was really, I was really suppressing it in April. Now this was May, March. I thought this is how I'm going to have to deal with this stuff. I'm just going to have to like ignore it. But that doesn't go anywhere. It's going to blow up in your face sooner or later. I thought, well, it's either that or I, or I'm thinking in my head. Maybe I should quit smoking. And it's like, oh, just get this out of the way. You know, I just said to her, yes. And she goes, well, during the rosary, I had the sense I'm supposed to tell you, you're going to make a decision, it's going to be all right, and you're going to find happiness. I'm like, well, isn't that special? Okay. <laughs> that sounds so, like another horse. Yeah, yeah right. That's okay. So, Fortune so I, yeah, I said, so I turned to my two friends. Come on, let's go. We got to get to the dinner. The dinner's at seven. We jump in a cab. 
wham, we smell the roses. So strong in this communist taxi cab. Did everyone smell them or just yes. you? Not the c- cabbie driver, but the other two that got in. So the, my one friend in the front, she gets in the front of the car. She says, can you smell that? I go, yeah. And I'm looking for like an air freshener. You know, but there's no communist air fresheners. <laughs> uh, they don't have those. So then my other friend gets in the back seat. <gasps> Can you smell that? I go, yeah. She says, make room for her. Like, meaning the blessed mother. I'm like, wow. what are you talking? You know, we slam the doors. We're carrying on. This poor cabbie thought these Americans are probably nutsos, you know. So we drive only just a few blocks. But we had to get home in a hurry for dinner. And then, so that was that. Then the, then my friend in the front, she says, well, what did that girl have to say to you? I said, well, she wanted to know if I was confused or undecided about something in my life. I don't know what she means. She said, well, what do you think it could mean? I go, well, maybe my celibacy and my vocation. And well, if that's what you think it is, that's probably what it is. I go, whatever, you know. <laughs> so, so the next day, <coughs> we decide to climb Cross Mountain. Well, it had rained a little bit. And so everything is slick. It's all mud. And so... Uh, only about eight of us out of our 18 went up and we get to the top and you pray the stations of the cross it takes about an hour and a half to pray the stations about a thousand feet up so it'd be like climbing the, the johnny hancock building i suppose you know <laughs> so and you pray the pray the uh, stations going up and in between uh, decades of the rosary and whatnot so at the top i did what the priest priest on my first trip there was a good thing you know he i went on a trip with a priest because i wouldn't have known what to do and uh, so we get to the top, and he would hear confessions. So I thought, okay, I'll hear your confessions, and then we can make our way back down. Well, I heard about five. And after the fifth confession, there was one young mom from my parish in the group who I didn't know well at all. And uh, after her confession, she said, um, Father Charlie, I've had uh, four dreams about you. I go, you have? Is, uh, yes. So, uh, the first one was back in Lake Zurich before we came, and she said, um, you were just there in the dream. Well, her husband heard that war was beginning to break out in the Balkans and uh, in Albania, and what was that all about? And I checked with the group, and they said, no, 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 don't worry about it. It's far away from Medjugorje. Well, it's not that far away, but it was far away enough, I guess, you know. So and so they were consoled with that. And then she said, but the second, third, and fourth dream have happened since we've been here, which has only been one night. I'm like, really? Wow. I really I said like what she says well the second dream you were there like the first one but you were counseling me through something and uh, after her confession one of the reasons she told me she came to Medjugorje was to pray for her five-year-old nephew who had a congenitive heart problem and she just got in a telegram that he died that day and uh, so kind of like just talking about how to make sense out of God's will and children's children's deaths and now I can make more sense out of these things but then I, I don't know what I said if it helped at all and then she said, I said, well, what's the third dream? She says, well, the third dream is you have to quit smoking. I go, what's the fourth dream? I didn't deal with the fourth. I've tried quitting smoking with the Nicorette gum and all of, all of this stuff, you know. So I said, what's the fourth? I thought God's going to have to do it because I can't do it. So what's the fourth dream? She says, well, the fourth dream is it's a little more personal, Father. I'm like, what do you mean? She says, well, it's kind of hard to talk about. I'm like, what do you mean? I said, what is it, Mary? She says, well, in this fourth dream, are you confused or undecided about something in your life? I'm like, my eyes got wide. I'm like, it was the exact same words as the girl in the plaza last night. I said, yeah? She goes, well, in this decision, in this dream, you're going to make a decision. It's going to be all right, and you're going to find happiness. I'm like, 
Wow, the exact words. Exact, exact words, exact, exact words I'm thinking. That's exactly Okay, what I've heard a prophecy in the Old Testament, but this is like 1990. What's going on here? So I was totally convinced <laughs> yes. of what she was doing from the first trip, but now the second trip. So now she's got my attention, full swing, you know. Yeah. And uh, so it would be from that point on, that was the spring of 90, and that summer with the statue of Casey in the living room, we started the first prayer group. In his living room, we started the first prayer group at St. Teresa's in Palatine. And it was there that we started with the Marian Woman of Priest format, which calls for a consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So I prayed the rosary every night with that family, all 15 decades, for about a year. I would leave the rectory and I'd go to their living room and wow. I would pray every night because I knew something was there and something I didn't get at the seminary. Something was here that was sustaining me, was changing me, was helping me to, to, to put my priestly life together. So as uh, that summer went along, it was Pentecost about June after that second trip and we're all standing in the living room smelling the roses kind of me and Casey we get a little goofy about it you know and then Neely was probably the more holy prayerful one she says do you think we should be laughing about that I go well probably not you know so uh, let me get the Bible and I'll open up the Bible I open up the Bible and it opens to Peter's discourse on Pentecost right wow. boom so I read through that how they're kind of goofy and acting kind of strange and you know so kind of like what that was doing you know and uh, uh, so then the four of us, Neely, his daughter, uh, and Casey, myself, we all felt this tingling coming over us. And Casey says, what is this tingling? And he always asks me these questions, resting in the spirit. He did, I, I, this is all new to me. I was not a charismatic. I don't get any of it. I said, I don't know. It must be the Holy Spirit. So from that point on, um, he, he, he tricked me. So it was that summer at St. Teresa's in Palatine. He says to me after Mass, because... I would, I would do one of the monthly masses, and then I would sneak out the back door because I couldn't talk to these people. There were like 400. He canvassed all the churches in the northwest suburbs to all the morning mass people who are your prayerful people, right? Yes. The, the, the prayer, yes. the prayer warriors. The remnant. He's, he, and he put flyers together. Some pastors were like, what are you passing around? What are you flying? They didn't like that he was doing this. But anyway, St. Teresa in Palatine, got four, there were like 400 people coming there on Monday nights in the, in the 90s. Wow. It was amazing. Wow. And then he'd say, one after a few months of this, he'd say, Father Charlie, would you pray over everybody individually? Well, I was in the habit of sneaking out the back door going to Burger King because I couldn't deal with the questions they're asking. They're asking me, they're asking me Blessed Mother Rosary devotional questions. I, I haven't done this stuff since third grade. I don't know how to talk to these people. It's like, get me out of, get me away from you people. You know? <laughs> couldn't take it. So I, I said, Casey, he said, would you pray over everybody individually like they do in Medjugorje? I said, Casey. Why would I want to do that? Because I'm thinking, I'll be here till midnight. You know? <laughs> Plus, I, 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 said, I said, I just blessed everybody at the end of the Mass. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. <laughs> I said, I just did that. He says, no, 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 like they do in Medjugorje where they lay their hands. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. So I said, yes. So they line up. And St. Teresa and Palatine has got like a half a block aisle and two rows. I'm thinking, man, oh, man. <laughs> so I'm doing it very sarcastically, you know. I'm like making the sign of the cross on everybody's forehead just kind of like with a little bit of a, a, a stance of disgust. It wasn't very open. And, but I'm just doing it just to do it, you know. And all of a sudden, not believing in any of it, all of a sudden I feel this wind wrap around me, like spin around me like a little tornado, you know. And then I felt it leave me, and it like took off. And the lady right in front of me, she was probably about 70, 80, falls over in the spirit on her back. Wow. I'm staring at her. Now I know what I felt. Everybody sees it. 
but they just kind of helped her in the front pew because it's like well they thought she maybe passed out or something right they don't know so so they kind of helped her in there but i knew what i felt what was it and my and that wind i felt that wind was that and the then, holy spirit yeah well, yeah and then so my reaction in my head right away was god knock this off right now <laughs> i'm like <laughs> you're telling too, god to knock it off god, yeah i'm saying this is too charismatic for me <laughs> i'm having a hard enough time getting used to the blessed mother never mind the holy spirit i said uh-uh so he doesn't care thank god what i think or want so so i start blessing again but now i'm being more careful and <laughs> more holy about how i do it you know and so it didn't happen again but casey saw that happen that lady fall over and he was two aisles over he saw and i could hear him go hmm <laughs> kept walking we didn't talk about it all night we didn't talk about it all week that's monday so saturday night is his rosary in his living room and he says to me after the after our rosary <clears throat> father charlie he says would you bless everybody after the rosary and i i gave him a quick glance because we hadn't <laughs> talked about what happened last monday at all and he like knew i'm thinking oh man well you can't say no i'm a priest that's what we priests are supposed to do bless people yeah so i said okay so there's 25 in the living room and i bless them. half of them fall over in the spirit i'm like oh man did here they? we go yeah i don't know what this is i have no definition of it i don't have a i don't know how to explain it to people so i was all discombobulated you know so anyway that's how it began and then it would be that was june maybe about august i thought well I had a little, this is kind of cool. I had a teen prayer group start, which started off of a last minute makeup confirmation retreat that summer. And uh, so we were meeting at the retreat, and um, I told the kids and the youth minister, I said, You know, would it be okay if I uh, teach the kids a little something about the rosary? And the youth minister said, Absolutely not. What? Well, yeah, he's from the 60s, and you know, we're all hippies and all of this stuff, and you know, the rosary and all that is passe. I said, well, I said, he says, you can do it in the free time, but that's not part of the retreat. I go, okay, well, whatever. And I was, I was the assistant but I'd al- of the parish, but I'd already left to live as a resident in a neighboring parish because I was getting ready to leave the priesthood. I was three years into the priesthood Why? getting ready to quit. Why? Because I, did, I didn't have what I it needed to sustain it. All of those issues of celibacy and, yeah. you know, all, all of that was not at peace. I was not, and the, prayer, the prayer life wasn't. So all of this is happening while I'm a resident at another parish. And uh, eventually the prayer of the rosary would turn everything around again. And I remember speaking with Cardinal Bernadine about it because I was training in the field of addictions, kind of getting ready to start a, a different kind of career in counseling because I, I had a lot of background with addictions. So that would be my work if I needed to leave. But I felt in my heart, I didn't think, I didn't feel like I should leave, but I didn't feel like I could stay. It was like just a crisis thing, right, you know. I didn't right. know what to do, so um, so that summer, um, I, I told these kids. I said, "You guys want to learn in the free time? You want to learn about the rosary?" And uh, they said, "Sure." You know, there were twelve kids, uh, juniors and seniors, and uh, we sat down one of the log cabins there, and and we did a, a deck. We all sat down Indian style in a circle, and I said, "Let's let's. This is how you do it. This is how we pray a rosary." And I taught them the rosary, and we we did well after the one five decade rosary. It was total silence in the room, and I'm looking at. It. And they're all their eyes are closed. Well, I've never seen teenagers, number one, with their eyes closed and being silent. I mean, it's just like that, that's very rare. Mm-hmm. And then one at a time, after about five minutes, Owen opened her eyes, Katie, I remember, and she says, Father Charlie. I said, yeah. Do you think we could keep doing this at the church? Wow. I'm like, what? So they were looking for the prayer. And I said, 
well, yeah, I'll check with the pastor, who was my former pastor and the former youth minister, which he gave me permission to do it, and we did it for a few months. But then after a while, the youth minister got jealous over my work with these kids because he wasn't into that prayer. I was doing something different from his program, and he talked the pastor into kicking me out. So eventually, I was already a resident in another parish, so this was back in Lake Zurich, and then I was I was uh, out of the out of the out of there eventually and I moved the prayer group to Mount St. Joseph in Lake Zurich with Charlie and, and Carolyn and Pat you all were part of that back then back in the 90s and so we moved it there but I lost uh, the hook to get kids because I don't have the youth minister sure. you know so it just became a family rosary which was fine we did it we turned it into a cynical of the Mary movement of priests so anyway that summer again after the after that retreat with the kids we start the prayer group the first sunday night prayer group with these kids i had about 10 or 12 kids show up the next week 25 hmm. oh with a rosary with kids who know nothing wow. about the rosary you know so they're talking to their friends again so this one night after that incident with the resting of the spirit at saint Teresa's in palatine <laughs> i i said to the kids i thought well i could experiment on the kids you can always experiment on teenagers see what happens here <laughs> and, and i tell them that and they go hey 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 you know i go yeah 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 just now what we're going to do tonight is i'm going to pray over you and you might feel heat or you might feel tingling or you might not feel anything it doesn't mean that the holy spirit still isn't touching you or doing something with you um, but if you feel something just rest in it and pray into it god's doing something with you i don't know what he's doing some people have a gift to know what the holy spirit's doing with people but i don't have that okay so they're all willing to do it so we all stand up 25 of them and we're in the vestibule of the church which is really like a living room because it's one of these modern new churches yeah. with a big living room with a fireplace and a coffee table the whole nine yards you know <laughs> okay so we we're, we're we're there and i pray over them i lay hands on each all each 25 of them all 25 of them rested in the spirit bang fell over on their back all 25 of them wow. i was freaked out wow. and i'm standing up against the wall leaning into the wall looking at them kind of suspiciously and waiting after about five minutes one would sit up and another one sat up and another one then they said they saw the probably the that the, <laughs> the the scared look on my face said, father charlie is this okay i go i think so <laughs> i said is it peaceful they go yeah I said, well, I did learn that from the seminary. If anything mystical is happening and it's peaceful, it's from God. If it's not peaceful, it's not from God. <laughs> so that's how that prayer group got going, and we kept it going until we moved it over to Mount St. Joe's. And so that summer, we're doing a consecration of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. It would be a rosary, a reading from Blessed Mother's Messages, especially in the MMP, the Mary Movement of Priests. And then every cynical ends with a consecration to Our Lady. And so, uh, so we're doing that day after day, month after month. Finally, October 90, so that's six months later, I'd been doing that consecration in their living room. I was in a quandary because I was still at that parish as a resident, that other parish, and uh, um, uh, thinking about um, going back to the priesthood and forget all of this stuff because Blessed Mother's working on me. And um, I stopped at a stop sign uh, right at North Street and Northwest Highway in Barrington because I was living there at St. Anne's for that year and thinking about discerning my vocation again. And uh, I just remember saying, and this was my consecration, so Pat's alluding to this, you know, and, and it's true. When we consecrate ourselves, all we have to do is just give ourselves to our Blessed Mother and mean it. 
So you can read all these formularies and all these books in St. Louis de Montfort, which is all helpful and good, but, but the bottom line is you have to do it from your heart and really totally mean that you're going to give yourself a completely to her. And like she says in the Marian Woman of Priest, she'll say, it's not yes one minute and no the next. It's only and always yes for me. Otherwise, I can't work through you to reach people that I want. I know I could be reaching, that Jesus could be reaching through you if you don't give yourself to me completely. So I... I stopped at that stop sign on my way to my counseling training in addictions out in Crystal Lake and I said, bless a mother. I am sick and tired of trying to figure out this priesthood by myself. I said, as long as I am alive on this earth, you have it, you show me how to live it. And I left the stop sign and went to work. And I get to work and the boss, the lady who owned the counseling agency, she, she looked at me as I walked into her office, she says, you're quitting. I go, how do you know that? She says, well, when I was in college, I, was, I had this charismatic priest friend who said, let me pray over you and ask for it with some gift of the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. And she was kind of a, a, kind of a hippie, 60s gal to a little bit older than me. <laughs> and she's, but she's, no, 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 no. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just ask for one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So she thought she was going into counseling. So she thought, I'll ask for the gift of knowledge. Because if I can have a leg up on these kids with giving me all of their BS, you know, about their addictions, you know, that would give me a, a, a heads up, you know. So she prayed for the gift of knowledge. And that's what she got. So she knew me coming in the door. It was a gift of the Holy Spirit. Huh. She knew that I was leaving. Okay. I said, well, that's right. You're right. I am leaving because i got to get back to the priesthood now. And so I met with Cardinal Bernadine and got things back on track. And that's when, you know, you get close to the Blessed Mother, the devil also starts to work because mm-hmm. he's going to attack. If it's In what really, way? In it's what really, way? If it's really the Blessed Mother, which it, it is, she's coming from heaven. She's pulling people to Jesus, and the devil's pulling people away from Jesus. And so if you experience something mystical, and it's really truly mystical, you're also going to experience something demonic mystical. So there's a mystical on the power positive and a mystical and a negative. So for instance, if you smell roses, you might smell sulfur. This has been my experience. I haven't read any of this in a book. It's just been from what I've grown with over the years. If you hear the Blessed Mother, you may hear the, the devil growl. You know, I mean, there's going to be a, like a match. He, it's like he, he can match what she does, but he can't pass her, you know. So, so um, this kind of thing uh, would happen in my situation. It was, um, I had this issue with with uh, the priesthood, and I was meeting with Cardinal Bernard, and he gave me permission to train in this field, and hoping that I wouldn't leave the priesthood, which I said I really didn't want to leave, but I, I just didn't feel like I could stay. So anyway, now it's more resolved, and I meet with him again. Well, this time he makes a pass at me. Meaning? Make, making a sexual innuendo kind of pass. He made a sexual yeah, innuendo? Yeah, he didn't touch me, but he, he made, a, he made a, uh, an advance, you know, but it was subtle. And uh, Did you know I didn't know what, what to do. On? I didn't know what to do with it. I kind of no, in a way, and yes, and in a way, no, because I was so on fire with Medjugorje. I'm telling him all of the stuff that's going, been going on, mm-hmm. and changing me. So, uh, so, uh, uh, so he backed backed off that, and we continued the conversation. He said, "Well, let's meet again in a month." <clears throat> so we would meet again in a month, and uh, uh, this time he. Um, wanted me to see this priest at the seminary. And I've only been out of the seminary four years. I didn't know this priest. I said, is this guy a, a psychologist? Because the previous psychiatrist had, had uh, retired. And he said, well, yes. I said, oh, you don't believe me about this Medjugorje stuff. Well, there's a lot of priests in the diocese. I don't know, you know them. And I said, well, if that's what would help you to believe what happened with me, I, I, I'll do whatever you think, you know. 
So, uh, so I left and I, and I went through all of the psychologicals that they, they go through when, when you go into the seminary. Every time, a lot of Catholics don't realize this, but, you know, seminarians are, are, are uh, uh, screened pretty thoroughly. I mean, every time I went into the seminary and left the seminary and came back to the seminary, I had to go through the psychologicals again. So first was with Niles, then it was with the Viatorians, a religious community, then back at Mundelein. Now, this is the fourth time mm. with Cardinal asking me to go through this because of this. And well, what are they screening I, you now for, wait, I know, I know. I didn't know why. And it would dawn on me later that it was like, well, I'm not getting apparitions. Why is he screening me? Right. So it would, it would happen a month later after that that I came for the results of the screenings that, um, that, that there was a team of people sitting at a table, 10 people. And this was in a makeshift kind of psycho center in Bridgeport. It was a diocesan covert operation because back in the 90s, Bernadine was ahead of what was going on in Boston. We dealt in Chicago in 1990 what you in Boston dealt with in 2000 with Cardinal Law. Yes. So, so uh, Bernadine um, had me go through this makeshift center, and it was really strange, and it was bad psychology. The whole thing was a, a, a retired, I mean, a, a torn-down church, and a, a convent and a rectory. And the convent was housing the pedophile priests of the ti- diocese at the time, and the rectory was this psycho center. And so this, this psychiatrist slash priest guy, who I didn't know, who was from another diocese, I don't know where he was from, gave me the tests and um, uh, administered the tests. And as I administered them, I've gone through these three times before. Now this is the fourth time. He says to me, well, there's one more test that you have to take. I said, oh, no, there isn't. I, I know what the, this this group of tests encounter and involve and there's no other group because I thought I'm I was a little scared I thought these guys might be trying to railroad me out of here or something right. I want to compare apples to apples I don't want anything in there that they could play with so they said yes there's one more test I said well what is it a spirituality test I said there's no such thing as a spirituality test I said I'm not taking it well you have to take it I said well, I'm not taking it I said who wrote it I did Oh. And I said, well, I'm not taking it then for sure, you know. <laughs> well, we could make a decision about you right now. And he was a little bit effeminate in his voice. I thought there was a little bit of question mark there. And he slams the door. And I'm thinking, okay, so some, something's wrong here. So I show up for the, for the, um, the group, the, um, the results of the test. And so there's these 10 people. Well, when I worked in the Forest Hospital in Des Plaines, in, in the psych uh, hospital and they were putting a new alcohol unit in there when I was 18. They wanted me to be on the team because of all my background with Alateen and all of that. Um, I said to them, I said, what do you, why are all these people here? I thought we were going to go over these tests with the, with the psychologist and the vicar for priests. They said, oh, no, 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 no. They said, uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to staff you. I said, well, I know. I said, no, I knew what that meant. What does it mean? I said, when you do a staffing, in order to get somebody committed to a hospital, wow. you, you have to you do a staffing. People discuss what the situation is. Sometimes you have to go to a court to get the lawyer to put you in. But in this case, it would have been just making a recommendation and send you off somewhere. And I'm sure some of you have heard this stuff before. Either Michael Voris talks about this stuff. I mean, the, all the cancel priests. It's a mechanism that bishops use to get priests out if they don't want them. So, so I said, oh, no, you're not. I said, the federal law allows me not to let you see the results of these tests. And they said, well, that's true. I said, yeah, and I want another battery of tests done again because I don't trust what you guys are doing here. And they said, that's fine, but it's at your own expense. I go, well, whatever. At the time, it was like 1000 bucks. So I talked to my counseling friend who I worked for, and she set me up with another psychiatrist at the University of Illinois Circle. And I had him done again. 
presented him again. This time it was to the diocese, the vicar for priests, who was in consultation with Cardinal Bernadine, and, uh, and an assistant vicar for priests, who was my spiritual director at the seminary all those years. So he knew me enough not to play games with me. And so, so the bottom line was they made this deal with Bernadine uh, that I would uh, get paid out of the out of downtown. My ministry would be run out of the vicar for priest office, and uh, I would report my workings to uh, that office. And uh, my spiritual director friend said, I don't like the idea because this office isn't an office for ministry. It's the office for all the troubled priests. They send them all through the vicar for priest office. But I'm thinking, wow, I'm free of a parish. I'll be free to do the prayer groups. I'll be free to go around and do the work of Our Lady, you know, and get paid. But they cut some of my car allowance out. They cut that out just to make it a little bit of a knife, uh, a dis- you know, difficulty. And uh, but it was from that point on. Blessed Mother was covering for me. She had five families in the northwest suburbs who paid me a hundred dollars a month. That's five hundred dollars a month to make up for the the lack that I didn't get. You know, mm. for about for about five years until Bernadine died and Cardinal George came in, and then a new vicar for priests kind of set the record straight with the salary. But I've always worked. My ministry has always been in this particular arrangement. But it was done, I think, and it would take me years to figure it out that Cardinal Bernadine probably thought that I was going to speak. Uh, about him or about what happened in the in in oh, his office oh. and so that became the huh. that became the issue I, it would take me a while to figure that out and uh, you know it was going to be I never thought to do anything about it because it was his word against mine we met privately you know so those years uh, you know there's a number of uh, suspicions uh, on Cardinal Bernadine different cor- corners you know that there's something wasn't right there so be that as it may Blessed Mother, you know, God always brings good out of evil, and uh, I've been blessed uh, for all of these years, 30 years of working for the Blessed Mother. The consecration, like I said, set me on a on a course. I got more and more involved with the Marian Movement of Priests. Father Rue, who was the Marian Movement of Priests director, um, invited me to the Senecals with Father Gobi and about 300 priests from around the world in Italy. Every uh, every summer for 20 years, I had a benefactor who put wow. me on retreat with the MMP. So the MMP, so now we can make a shift, and maybe you want to make a little <clears throat> appeal, but we can talk a little bit about consecration of the Mary Movement of Priests after, after your appeal there. Well, Angela. what it is, uh, Father, is coming up on the hour of 3 o'clock, the hour of mercy, believe it okay. or not, and Pat's yeah. coming on at 3. Good. So maybe what we can do <clears throat> is... Well, first of all, we have to have you back. Yeah, Father. sure, sure. Let me let, maybe just to kind of conclude. Yes, you know, if, if, if that's that. what I should do. Sure. You know, it's been a. You know, that, this is can be some hard news for some. Some may think I'm the crackpot. Whatever. Uh, you know, I know what I experienced. I know I believe in our Blessed Mother. When we consecrate ourselves to her and give ourselves simply to her. We end up living the vocation that God had designed for us from the moment he thought of us and the moment he created us. And most often than not, we in America and the West and in the, real, in the whole wide world are not living what God wants us to live. And it's not just for priests or religious, it's for marriages too, you know. How many mar- what have the communists done to destroy womanhood, motherhood, marriages? See, so we have we have all of these uh, real awakenings and real awarenesses of, of God's order of things. And when we put things back the way God wants them, which is what Blessed Mother helps us to do through our consecration for marriages, single people, or religious and priests, then the world will come back together and there'll be peace. But it's, okay. but it's a bit of a process, you know? Amen. And, and Amen. Father, I think we have to get 
every priest consecrated. I oh, mean, for sure. Every priest yeah. in the Archdiocese yeah. of Chicago consecrated yeah. the Blessed Mother right now yeah. while there's time. Yeah, well, they have, to, they have to want it. They have to do it. It has to be, you, they have to want to do it. Well, we she can, had you, know, you want it. Yeah. And, you know, Pope Benedict consecrated all the priests. I mean, if you're the boss, you can do it, which he did it. Yes. So, Father, would you give us your priestly blessing? Yes, absolutely. Heavenly Father, we ask your grace and blessing on all of us and all who are listening today. We ask your blessing on all of our bishops that they may be more courageous in defending the truth and not being afraid of the of the constructs that they've created in order to to give a false illusion of a of a big strong church but rather it's from the heart and it's lived the faith well so we pray for our bishops we pray for our pope we pray for our priests and though everybody may be a little bit afraid we ask that they may turn to the blessed mother who will certainly give them strength and encouragement and support and uh, we also pray for all married couples, that they may be more faithful to their vows, that they can come to know uh, God's grace in their marriages by saying at least in Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory Be together every night. Every night, if they pray in Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory Be, then together, not by yourself, but together, then it can lead to a decade of the rosary and another uh, whole rosary. And then marriages are transformed and children are, are stabilized and Thing, good things happen. So we ask your blessing and through the intercession of Our Lady in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank oh. okay. Thanks, Father Charlie. Yeah. Father Charlie. Well, that that was really you. powerful. Um, you were I worth really the wait. Thank was, you so much. You were worth the wait. I've waited okay. for yeah. 13 years, I think, <laughs> yeah. to have Father, Father Charlie what is, back the, what is the pin on your... Uh, this left? pin is the emblem for the Marian movement of priests. Oh. So it's the cross inside the M. You know, it's Jesus inside. So, Father, um, to your left is Pat McCaskey. He's the next uh, guest. I, I've heard of you many times, Pat, because of uh, your work with uh, Brian Follett and, and the Follett family. You know, so. Yeah, yeah. Relevant Radio yeah. was the Follett's, right? Relevant Ro- is, is the Follett's, but I think Brian worked quite closely with the pro-life and the issues down in Texas to get... It, to do a lot, uh, oh, a lot right. of money to, for the pro pro life. The work. ads, yeah, the to ads. do the ads, the yes. ads and, and the TV. So good, Pat. Nice to meet you. Nice yes. To meet you, so we're gonna what we're gonna do is it's three o'clock. You're listening to eighty-eight point five FM Antioch and seven fifty WNDZ Portage, Chicago. We'll go to the Chapel of Divine Mercy now, and then we'll have Pat.